Well, hallelujah. <laughs> I have to start with this. Uh, somebody this morning said uh, something about being an expert. And in the business world, that means somebody makes several hundred dollars an hour and comes from more than 100 miles away. Um, this is free. <laughs> and I live 12 minutes from here. <laughs> Well, even though they're not here, I do want to thank uh, pastors uh, Jordan and Lauren for uh, this wonderful opportunity to be up here. Um, we've got a great group here, it looks like. I am going to ask if it, if it take you a little bit out of your comfort zone. As many in the back that can move forward, that would help me out a little bit. Um, if you need to be back there, that's fine. But just uh, when we start asking questions and having conversation, uh, it might be a little bit easier. So if you want to take a, few, a couple of seconds and... Move on up toward the front. That would be wonderful. As Brother Sean said, my name is Jerry Dalen, and I, my wife Lois and I have been coming to Church on the Rock for about 13 and a half years, and uh, it's been a blessing to us uh, in many ways, spiritually and financially. From a personal perspective, I've been in finance and accounting for over 40 years. That's probably more related to my age than uh, all the experience, but uh, I've done budgeting, forecasting, cash flow analysis, mergers, acquisitions, dabbled a little bit of international finance when we owned some companies in uh, Germany and the UK. Um, so I've just been in the business a long time. I recently retired and uh, started my own business, a consulting business. And it is primarily focused on helping small businesses uh, with their finance and accounting. And uh, the other part of it is individual and small business tax preparation. So while I may have retired from the corporate world, I didn't retire from what I want to do, and this is something I'm very comfortable in doing. So that's why I'm here. The question is, is why are you here? <laughs> um, hopefully we'll learn something tonight. Uh, there'll be something for each one of you. It might be different, but... Everybody will benefit from being here in uh, ways that we can improve our finances. And I put up, uh, if you could go to the first slide there, put up some statistics. Um, it says, you know, 71% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And the interesting part of that, 20% of those folks make over $100,000 uh, a year. So. You know, you can say it's not about your job, it's not about your salary, it's how you're managing what uh, you have been provided with. And we just need to do a better job of that. 69% um, have less than one month of income saved for uh, a rainy day or an emergency fund. And 58% have nothing saved for retirement. So statistically, that's where we are. Now, that may not be where you are, but that's where we are uh, as, a, as a society. The other thing I, I want to mention here is the legacy that we leave our children. And it's not necessarily the amount of money we leave, but how do we handle our finances in our home? How do we talk about them? Um, children, grandchildren, in my case, are great imitators of what they see and what they hear. So part of this is to make sure that we take the pressure off. And we handle it, if you're married, it's a, 
it's a couple's conversation that doesn't have to get loud and vocal. So that's the part of the legacy I'm talking about. And then if you can do that and leave an inheritance, awesome. Okay, so that's kind of why we all are here. If I could get the next slide there. So there are some things I would like for us to kind of sort of agree with. Okay, one of them is that 100% of everything that we have belongs to God. Okay, we are asked scripturally, commanded, if you will, uh, to give 10% uh, back in the form of the tithe. And so that the basis of this presentation says that we will do that. The other 90% is how do we manage the rest of it, given that it belongs to God. That's called stewardship. Okay, and we have to be able to manage the 90%. So giving is the first thing that we do. Money, manage the money after you give. And this is going to require a change in our mindset. We have bad habits. We may not even know we have bad habits. <laughs> but that's what part of having more knowledge tells you is that, you know, you, you recognize these things. That is a bad habit. So part of this is changing our mindset of what society tells us is right versus what really is right. Next one. Also, I wanted to put some things up here just basically. So these are what I call food for thought. And John D. Rockefeller, very wealthy man during his time. I, I think he was the richest man in America, supposedly. And he was asked one time, how much is enough money? And his answer was, just a little bit more. And I thought about that. I said, well, how do I interpret that? And Brother, uh, uh, Pastor Jordan, a couple weeks ago, uh, had a message relative to contentment, being content with where we are, and not comparing ourselves to others. Oh, I wish I had their car. I wish I had their house. I wish I was at the vacation place that they're at. That's not a good place to be in. So that's what that, that, that comment there means to, to me, is that we shouldn't compare ourselves. We need, to, we need to be satisfied with where we are, but be motivated to improve, okay? It's not how much we make, I already said that before. It's how do we manage what we have. The next one is the concept of spiritual principles and natural principles, okay? If, you, if you're very, my example is if you're very spiritual and you put all your money in the mattress at home, that's probably not a, a really good recipe, okay? Um, conversely, if you're very knowledgeable about financial and financial activities and you know all the terms and acronyms and all that kind of stuff, but there's no spiritual awareness to it, you lose the power. The spiritual principles bring the power to your money. And God is a God of multiplication. 
Lastly on this one, John Maxwell, one of my favorite authors on leadership books, Good Christian Man. I think this was mentioned actually, was quoted a couple of weeks ago. The secret of success is found in our daily habits. And the key on this one is discipline. Daily habits are nothing more than paying attention, doing what we said that we were going to do, and following through on it. So having the discipline is the key. I can be, I can, I can be very spiritual, and I can have a lot of knowledge, but if I don't put it into action, I really don't have anything. So we need to improve our habits, and we have to have a, what I call a stick to Spell that one. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit, if we could get the next slide up. Uh, debt is not a sin, okay? But it does put us in bondage, and that's not a good place to be. You lose a certain amount of freedom when you're indebted to a financial institution or to a person. And this just, you know, we, we need not, we need to do everything we can to not be in that position. So that's just kind of a principle that don't condemn yourself if, if that's what you, you know, you're apt to do. It's just not necessary. We need to just figure out how to correct it and how to get in a better situation. I did put up, um, some numbers there. Just basically all that says is we're not, as a society, we're not getting much better at, at credit cards. It just, we just keep getting more and more and more and more and more. And it's just astounding. And I'll get into the use of credit here in a second. And the comment that I hear a lot is, but I pay my credit card balance off each month. And if you use credit card, that's a good thing to do. But my next slide is going to tell you some other things about the use of credit. Studies show that when you use a credit card, you will spend 12 to 17% more than what you would do if you had cash in your pocket. In fact, Dun & Bradstreet, and, uh, a national credit rating firm, if you will, uh, did a study on McDonald's. And their average transaction for cash was $4.50 and for a credit card, it was $7. So we pretend like a credit card is, is not money, it's not cash. And I want to expand that thought just a little bit when it comes time to use credit to buy a car or to buy a house. What, it, what will happen is that the car dealership or the realtor, if you will, will put you up as high as possible. They will make the determination for you as far as what you can afford. Not you. You haven't determined what you can afford, but you need to. You need to buy what you can afford, not what the bank thinks you can afford. That, that is critical, just the so when we talk about credit cards, I'm also talking about credit, which turns into debt, okay? So it's okay to use credit cards, and it's okay to use credit. Just understand the, 
pitfalls that are out there. If you're aware of them and you make informed decisions, then you should be okay. Okay, let me look at the next one here. Okay, this was the hardest one for me to do. It's, called, uh, uh, it's on debt elimination. And the reason is, is because every person, every family in here is different. Some of you are underwater with debt. Some of you don't have any. Some of you have a little bit. So, I mean, everybody's in a different spot. So what I tried to do was to, to start out and I'll get to debt elimination, but I want to talk about debt avoidance. So, and this is probably more to the young folks. If you can avoid debt, that's where you want to be. And Pastor, uh, Dr. Jacobs always says, start with where you're at. So, when it comes to that car, or even that first home, you need to, to start with where you're at and buy what you can afford. As, and again, as opposed to somebody else telling you what you can afford. That, that, is, that is critical. But if you are already in, you know, have some indebtedness, let's call it that, then there are ways to get out of debt. One of them is if you've bought too much of an asset, you know, your car or whatever, you can sell it and start over again and make better decisions. I mean, we, we think that once we buy it, well, now it's mine, you know, it's, it's hooked to my leg and I've got to, you know, carry it around with me for the rest of my life for the next 30 years. You know, maybe you just made a bad, bad decision and you need to put it in reverse and get out from underneath that thing and then make a different decision. Okay? So, we, you know, so it's still on us to make the change. Um, so you want to pay cash whenever possible. And that is so foreign. You know, in fact, one of the questions that came up um, in, in, you know, when you asked for them was, can I pay cash for a car? And the answer is yes. <laughs> you really, that, you know, but, but the fact that we ask the question um, says a lot about the fact that we're just so used to a different way of doing business. And so you really do want to think in a cash mentality. I mean, Dave Ramsey, who's the guru of personal finances on the radio, worldwide, whatever, the envelope system that you put money in an envelope, you know, and when you run out, you switch envelopes or whatever, and, you know, and then you start all over again at the end of the month. Part of that process, if you will, is to save for your next car. So if you do have a car payment, what was this? The average car, I think I saw last 200,000 miles. And... This is the math part of me coming out here. <laughs> if you average 15,000 miles a year, that's 13.3 years that the car should last. Now, the average amount of time that we, or not the average, but the length of time that we uh, get, a, get a loan for 
I mean, when I was younger, it was like three years. Now it's like five or six, in some cases, seven years. That car's still good for another six. So what are you doing when the car's paid off? First thing you ought to do is accelerate the payment, okay? Accelerate, get out of debt with it, and then the first month that you don't have a car payment, you pay yourself. And you start your car payment for your next car, okay? That's the way you, you know, it's like, I, I'm not gonna walk away with a seminar and then uh, next week walk out and go buy a car with cash. There's gonna be some work involved here. It depends on where you are relative to your situation. But it can be done. And the other part of getting out of debt is, and again, I mentioned Mr. Ramsey a few minutes ago, uh, is he has the snowball effect. I think er most people have heard about that, but I'm gonna say it anyway. If you have three credit cards, you owe $10,000, Take the smaller one with high interest, and you do whatever's necessary to start paying more and getting out of debt on that card. Then as soon as you do that, you take whatever payment you were making, and now you put it on credit card number two. And so now I'm making two payments, if you will, on that credit card. Then when I finish with the second one, I put the one, the two, and then I put it on the third one until I'm done. But then I'm not done. I'm just done with the credit card. Then I take all of that, and then I put it on my car payment. Okay? Then I get out from under that, and I put it on my home. And you really ought to have a 15-year mortgage if you have a mortgage. I mean, the interest rates just say, are begging you. In fact, I think the interest rates are higher on a 30-year mortgage right now than a 15. Gosh, is that pretty, pretty close? So... Why wouldn't you do that? So that's kind of where we are with debt elimination. There is a way to do it. Um, and again, the process itself uh, or the mathematics is not hard, but the discipline can be hard. And that's where you need to really pay attention because it's easy to get real excited and motivated and I'm going to get out of debt and then the second week hits you. <laughs> and you kind of lose a little bit of speed. I mean, you really have to pray and be committed to do this. I mean, we say all the time, that, you know, you didn't get here yesterday, you know, doing this in a day, it's not going to take a day to get out of it. Okay. But it is a, it is a bondage. We always talk about what could we do with the money if I didn't have a house payment or a car payment. Especially it relates to the kingdom. There's, you know, I mentioned selling assets, you know, because you need something to kind of get this thing a kickstart. Uh, you, you can have a garage sale, yard sale, sell a second car, I want to say something here that's not for everybody. But for a season, especially on that credit card, if it's $5,000, $10,000, for a season, you can get a second job. Just to get going. Now, that's a family decision. And a family has to be okay with that. But if you do that, and then well, I'm just going to use my example of $10,000, 
and you, and you take a part-time job and every dollar of that goes toward that goal, not, oh, gee, Florida's looking pretty good right now, <laughs> is to that goal, then when you reach the 10,000, it's like, see ya, <laughs> and you're paid off, and you get back to what I would call normal at that point. But that kickstarts it in the, in the payments that you needed for, that, uh, for those credit cards. Then you start putting on the other stuff like the car and the, and the mortgage eventually. Does it make sense? Good. Ooh, that was, I, I struggled with that one a lot, I have to admit. So, because um, I want to make sure that it made sense to everybody in their individual situation. Um, you do prioritize your debt and the smallest balance and the highest interest rate. So that's kind of where we went through. There are debt eliminator calculators. That's what I wanted to get on that slide. You can go out on the internet, and so you can, you can when you're setting up your plan, you can say, okay, currently I have to pay $27 a month, which is the minimum payment, and I've got $5,000 I've got to pay, and it's at 18%. You're probably not going to change the 18%. Okay. And you're not going to change the 5000 because you still owe that. So it, it says if I double the payment to 54 or if I can make a $100 payment, it'll tell you how fast it'll pay that off. So use technology from that perspective to help you out. Next slide, please. Okay, I, I, I did this just for the married folks in the room. This is a group discussion. <laughs> um, and I broadened it to say it's a family discussion, depending on the age of your kids. You know, mom and dad, you know, are, you know say, we need your help, you know, from, from, the, from, the, from the children's perspective. We need your prayers. This is what we're doing. We need your support. We want to get out of debt and, and, and get, at least let them know what's going on. But definitely from a marital perspective, both of you have to be lockstep relative to doing this. Because if not, you're going to be pulling at each other, and it's hard enough, you know, just doing it together, going down the road, being very focused on it. Again, know where your money is going before you spend it. I call this making informed decisions versus uninformed decisions. You know, you wake up at the end of the month and go, whoa, what happened? You know, I'm getting notices that I've got an overdraft. Uh, my car payments due, I don't have enough money in the bank, whatever that situation is, that's being reactive. And what we're suggesting here and talking about is being proactive. How am I going to get out in front of this thing so I don't get caught not having what I need? So you put together a plan to say, this is how I'm going to spend my money. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not going to change, have an emergency here, emergency there. Okay, and we'll talk about how to deal with that. Use technology. This is what I'm talking about as far as informed decisions. Um, I mentioned Dave Ramsey, the Financial Peace University. I think actually he's coming to Louisville pretty soon, uh, March or April. But Andrew Womack Ministries also has a wonderful program that I would encourage you to look at. It's called Basic Sense, C-E-N-C-S. And it's a low cost, but it 
it does a lot of what I'm talking about here as far as tracking your money, uh, budgeting, or he doesn't like to use the word budget, spending plan, so nice. <laughs> it's a budget. <laughs> um, but you know what? It really doesn't make any difference which one you use. Use something. Pay attention to it. Sit down and work with it. You know, and then it doesn't go in a drawer. It's something you pay attention to every week, every other week, every time you get paid, whatever. You have to pay attention to it. Next slide, please. I personally believe in zero-based budgeting. And what this, what this really means is that you need to budget for everything until nothing is left. Doesn't mean spend everything until nothing is left. It means budget everything until nothing is left. <laughs> Um, this includes um, what you're going to do with any windfall money that comes through. His tax season, and some people will be getting a refund. Under this scenario, you would know exactly what you're going to do. You would know what you're going to pay, what you're going to spend, once you get the number. You already have a plan for some things that you don't even know yet. But you have to sit down and say, if I got $1,000, what am I going to do with it? So that's how disciplined that you need to be relative to your finances. So key is budget everything, not spend everything. First thing is giving. First thing is giving. That's your tithing, your offering, your savings, your retirement, uh, your fixed expenses, things that don't move from month to month. They're there every month. Fortunately or unfortunately, you want to get rid of some of those. But they're very predictable. They're at the same time every month, at the same amount every month. So that's your housing, your food, your insurance, transportation, utilities. And I know, you know, electric bill goes up in the winter. You can get on a budget plan with uh, any of your utility programs. So it's the same amount every month. And then your discretionary expenses. And this is where you kind of start getting into people's lives and their habits. Okay, um, your cell phone plan, uh, your cable, have you cut the cable yet? Coffee? <laughs> I, was, I was hesitant on that one because everybody said, well, don't, don't take away my coffee. But, it, you know, here's the difference between informed and uninformed. Do you know how much you spend if your coffee goes out? A month in coffee. I didn't, and I'm a coffee drinker. But it stunned me, the $4 and whatever cent latte. So, again, it is nickels and dimes that add up to dollars. Okay, so don't, don't gloss over anything. Everything gets thrown out on the table. I know a lot of times when Lois and I were having a conversation, you know, well, the coffee spending seems to be, you know, she doesn't drink coffee. <laughs> she doesn't understand. <laughs> but she's right. You know, we, you put everything on the table and you talk about it. So the, back on the giving, though, that's to God and yourself. Okay. That's very important. Next slide, please. Okay. 
This is my attempt at a very simple uh, example of a household income, and it might be easier to see if you look at your binders on this one, of a household income of $75,000. Don't challenge me on the numbers. Just flow with the math. First thing we do, 10% tie, $7,500. I estimated 25% taxes for federal, state, we're not doing any pre-tax contributions right now. I'm going to get into that one in a few minutes, the benefits of doing that. But in this case, it's 25%. So the taxes are $18,750 a year. And so that gives me net earnings, my take-home pay, if you will, of um, $48,750 divided by 12 gives me a monthly net earnings after tithing and taxes of $4,062.50. At your starting point. Let's go to the expense side of it. So these are this is the suggested amount relative to uh, your spending and the percentages that should be allocated. It's going to be different for everybody, but I, here, here's the couple key things here. If you look back at your own situation and your debt is like 55%. That's, that's something you got to work on. That's got to get down to closer to this 35%. Now, we can, we can debate whether your utilities ought to be 5% or your gifts giving, your birthdays is at 3%. But the debt number, if it's more than, I think the standard is 25% for your home, and then the other stuff is cars maybe even credit card. So when I say suggestion, it's not mean I'm suggesting it. It means it's more of a norm. Okay. So when you look at that, you say, what you, first thing you should do is say, where am I in relation to this? Okay. So if this is kind of the suggestion, and I look back over the last six months of my spending, and I look at the, my same percentages, and they're way out of whack, then I've got some adjusting to do. Again, your insurance, car insurance or whatever, might be more than 2%. Okay? You need to put it what it is and then take it from another category. Okay? You will, well, I will just say, you will not spend every dollar in the month that you're projecting here. Some, some of your payments are due quarterly, some of your payments are due, due uh, semi-annually, some of them may be due once a year. But you save every month for that so that when it comes due, it's not like, ah, what do I do? No, I say, well, I put back 81.25 for my insurance every month, six months, that's $450, $68, whatever. I've got it. I'm close. That's what you want to do. Um, and <laughs> I'll tell myself a little bit. Uh, when I started doing this back in the day, I literally wrote out a check. Didn't sign it. It said insurance. January 2018, $100. 
to put in a, fi- a little file box in his little file box February insurance and then when my $600 insurance came after six months I took the checks wrote them up and wrote a check for 600 bucks that's how I managed it you know, I, I, I'm a quick and kind of guy you know and, and so I would put the $100 in quick and his expense and then six months I, I'd go into January and I'd delete it February delete it but then when I wrote it in July I wrote a $600 check and I have it. It's already, it's already accounted for. Again, that's the kind of discipline I think you need when it comes to your finances. Let me make sure, because this, this is an important slide. I just want to make sure I, I covered everything. I, I think I said this. It does not uh, consider any pre-tax contributions. Um, so when you see the retirement here, I, th- I said pre-tax if possible. I've actually got a slide that was one of the handouts that I'll go to here in just a second to talk about the benefits of pre-tax contributions. Okay, let me see the next slide here. Oops. Okay, we're not going to go to taxes yet. I do want to go to pre-tax. You don't have the. You have this when. It was one of your handouts. So if you'll go to this page right here, it's not on the slides. I just want to run through this very quickly. This is uh, on the left-hand side is an example of a person has 100000 You would have picked it up on the table back there. Uh, $100,000 income. If you have a pre-tax benefit that you can, a, a lot of people call them flexible spending accounts, for child care, and child care can also be elderly care, um, and then no medical expenses. Let's just say that they're 10000 And the reason I picked this, I did taxes for somebody this week who actually had $10,000 to child, child care, and they didn't pre-tax. Okay? So we're going to pre-tax that. What that means is that $90,000 is my taxable amount. From federal, state, most local localities, but federal and state definitely are pre-taxed. So you don't pay tax; tax-free money. So you got ninety thousand dollars. Then my estimated twenty-five percent taxes is twenty-two thousand five hundred. So my take-home pay is sixty-seven thousand five hundred annually. Move over to the right. I, let's say I did not pre-tax this amount. So I got a hundred thousand dollar of income. I got $25,000 tax practice, so that's my $25,000 in taxes. So my take-home pay is now $7,500,000, and I got to reach in my pocket and pay $10,000 of either child care or no medical expenses. And so my take-home pay after making that payment is $65,000. I saved $2,500 by pre-taxing the benefit. So if anybody asks the question, is pre-tax benefits worth it? Yes. Now, big, 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 bold caution. Under those two items, it is, there is a use it or lose it rule most benefit plans have. So if you say, well, I'm going to spend $10,000 on a medical whatever, and it never happens, you just lost $10,000. 
if you think your you think your child care is ten thousand and it only turns out to be eight thousand, probably just lost two thousand. So this is known expenses. Okay, so it's a great benefit, but there's there's a couple of moats out there with water and alligators in them that you got to be careful about. Um, there are other things that you can pre-tax: your health insurance, your retirement plan, life insurance, short-term, long-term disability. I'm not saying go out and sign up for all these things because you may not need them, but if you need them, they can be pre-taxed through your employer benefit plan. So this is one, check with your employer and see if they have this available. And you can't go in and out of it. You have to make a predetermination of what you want to do. And it's good unless you have a life-changing situation. Okay, so it's a little technical on this part of it, but it's really important, you know, because most of us, well, I used to have an employer. Um, but, you know, they have, you know, uh, enrollment in October, November, something like that for the first of the year. That's the time you make these decisions. The person I was working with the other day said, yeah, I remember when they talked about that, but I kind of forgot about it. Okay. Don't do it again. <laughs> so, any questions on the pre-tax? We, we will have a Q&A on that, but I just want to make sure. Uh, real quick, so now let's talk about taxes. It's that time of year. January, you can, you know, it's already February, almost March. You can begin filing your taxes uh, for the current year. Um, you can prepare them free. A lot of the tax software programs, IRS, th those type of folks have a website. If your income uh, is $66,000 and below, I thought that was interesting, the 66000 <laughs> I didn't make that up. Um, and if it's a simple form, no, no itemization. A um, couple things to look for. Are you eligible for the earned income credit? Are you uh, eligible for the additional child credit? It takes about th if you're getting a refund, it takes about three weeks if you file electronically. It takes uh, about six weeks if you file by paper. And it takes an additional seven to ten days after that if you want a paper check from the IRS or the state. Uh, April 17th is the filing deadline. So th that's about as much as I need to say about this year. The big question is for next year. So if I could get the 20, yeah, new tax legislation. This, this is really, really important for a lot of folks. And uh, it won't take me long to go through it, and there may be a lot of questions during the Q&A session about this, but I want to go through it. It started January 1 of 2018, so it's, is for the taxes you're going to file in 2019. But there, you know, the newspapers and news, everybody's getting a raise. Okay? Awesome. And I'll, I'll kind of show you here in a minute how you're going to get, get that raise. Just a couple terminology things, real quick. Standard deductions simply mean that the government's going to tax, say this amount of money is tax-free off of your income before we get to taxable income. No questions asked, no receipts, don't need to keep books, don't need to keep anything, just something they gave you. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, if you get into itemized deductions that says I've got 
a lot more expenses than what the standard deduction will give me with no questions asked, no receipts, wink, wink. The itemization is, do I have more tax deductions that add up more than the standard deduction? And if I do, that's what I want to take. You have to have receipts for that. Um, most people who own a home will itemize because their mortgage expense is tax deductible. Um, the state and local taxes that come out of your paycheck are tax deductible. Contributions, contributions to your church, are tax deductible. Um, then there's a couple of other ones that are somewhat uh, income-related, job-related expenses, unreimbursed job-related expenses, is limited, 2% of your income. Medical expenses, I forget what that one is, I think it's 10% now of your uh, income. Anything over that is deductible. Most people, unless they've had a real severe hospitalization, don't qualify for that one anyway. So when you add all that up, that's how you itemize deductions. So I want to make sure before I just started throwing out terms here, everybody understood the difference between. So what they did in the new tax legislation is they basically said for a married couple filing together, the standard deduction was $12,700. We're going to up it $24,000 tax-free. First $24,000 you make, no questions. That's, that's great. Actually, for most people, it will, I think 71% of the people today take a standard deduction. You double that, it'll be interesting to see what that 71% goes to next year. That is major uh, uh, change. Some other thing, there is a give and take. They gave you some stuff and they took some stuff away. If you have a home, second, uh, second mortgage on your home, the interest on that is no longer tax deductible. Um, big one here is eliminates the exemptions. And ex an exemption is basically who's living in your house that you support. Mom, dad, two kids, you have four exemptions. Mom, dad, one child, you have three. Mom and dad, two. Does that make sense? That goes away. So if you're married filing jointly, they gave you 12,000 round numbers, and then they took away $4,050 per exemption. So if you're a family of four, $16,160 is what they took away. Okay? There's more to the story. Um, and let me get to that before I get to the next two. So the big give back here is that they lowered the tax rates, okay? So I gave you a handout. You don't need to look at it necessarily now, but I just did that as an exercise somewhat for myself, and I'm just sharing it with you. There is one mistake on it, but I'll let you find it. <laughs> In every scenario, Every scenario, and I did $50,000 income, $125,000 income, and $200,000 income with a family that had two adults, no children, two adults, one children, child, and two adults, two children. In every scenario, the tax liability was less. 
Now, that's using a standard deduction, okay? Everybody's different, so next year when you file your taxes, if you're, you know, had a problem, don't come yelling <laughs> at me. But I'm just ta talking about in general. They, they gave more than what they took away, so it seems. I'm not going to get into politics. Brother Les tells us not to get into politics in our lifetime. Um, so that, that is very important. What's, got, what's happening in, in to, with your employer is they're getting the new tax things in late February to affect your paycheck. Whether they'll go back and adjust it back to January or they'll just go forward with it, I don't know. That probably is up to your employer. But that's where the raise is coming from. Okay? And I got just a couple more things, and then I will be done. Child the, the child tax credit for children under 17 year home goes from $1,000 to $2,000. So that's another one they gave you, you know, a little bit more if you have children. I mentioned 529 savings plans. Those are savings plans where people, adults can um, put money back for um, college for their kids or for their grandkids or, you know, for the future. It used to be limited just to college. So it's like when they were you know, uh, in the hospital or something. Johnny's going to go to college. <laughs> I'm going to save, you know, save, I have a savings plan for him. This was a vehicle. There's a 20% uh, tax credit on your state income tax when you deduct. So if you give $1,000 a year, you get $200 of it back on your taxes. State. Um, the, the main change here is that they said, eh, it doesn't have to be just for college. It can be for private schools. So if you've got kids that are going to places like Christian Academy, now you have to keep the, the money in there, I think, for a couple of years before you can start taking it out. But if you're going to plan that, you can start putting money into one of these plans, tax deferred, okay, take the tax deduction, and um, help pay for the private education of your child or grandchild if you so desire. Okay, but that was, that was kind of a significant change there. And then the last two things, the corporate tax rates went from 35% to 21%. Now, basic, so basically, they gave corporations a 14% raise. Just sign it into law. That's the reason you're seeing the Walmarts, the Amazons, some of these large companies, and the, the smaller ones don't get credit if they did it. Uh, they you know, gave one-time bonuses, gave raises. So they did the right thing. They gave it back to their employees. Okay? So... Um, but that is significant that you at least know that, that your employer probably got a raise. And then the last one is if you, um, if you own your own business, this isn't for all business, very complicated piece of legislature, but there's called a pass-through um, on small businesses that is no longer taxable. So your first 20% of a small business you don't pay taxes on. So if you own your own business, this is an area you want to investigate. But you have to be self-employed, has to be your business. And so that was significant. They're still trying to iron out the details on this one of who's gonna be like, 
tax preparers are not eligible for this. <laughs> really? My first year? <laughs> uh, they, they specifically said accountants and tax preparers. I did not take offense to that. <laughs> but um, that, that is significant. If you own your own business, you need to look into that one to, to see. Um, and then as a bonus, the new tax rates, you can see between 17 uh, and 18 of what they are. And with that, I am done. Thank you.